0: Growing up, growing on up. Well, I shared week before last, before we went into the political messaging last week, just about some things that have been stirring in my heart. And part of it was on our trip to New Zealand and uh, talking to some of the leaders there about their strategies to help the church move forward and help uh, members in the body of Christ to come into a place of maturity. And statistics say right now that... the, the Average Sunday attender that says they go to church shows up 1.4 times a month at their church. So they'll call themselves church members, but they come 1.4 times a month, and I don't know what me, 0.4 is an average, you know, they just don't come for half the service. But But that, that just shows where our culture is, the busyness of our culture, and how many other things we're juggling and balancing between work and sometimes two jobs and then kids' sports and all the other thing, things that... Kind of pulling us in different directions. And some of us can come to church maybe for that goosebump, that worship goosebump. Some might come for, you know, meet some friends or because they're kids in a, uh, something going on in children or youth ministry. And, but hopefully, most of us come because we want to grow in Christ. Amen? Amen. Hopefully most of us come because they, you recognize and I recognize that, hey, he, he birthed in me, scripture calls the kingdom of heaven, begins like a seed. It's planted on our heart and it grows and develops. And scripture says when the word of God gets in us, it can produce fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. There's this principle throughout scripture of growth. When we do the things that God instructs us and encourages us to do, there's spiritual growth that comes into our lives. And so I was meditating there and you know, thinking about these things when I was in New Zealand, about these principles of growth. And in the next season, in transition, where we're talking about changing some things around, just the urgency and the desire to see people come into that next place of growth, that next place of maturity in the body of Christ. Here's, uh, we're going to spend some time looking at these over the next few weeks. So these are just like tweets concerning uh, some thoughts about growing up. Ephesians 4 says what? Be no longer children, but grow up in Christ. 2 Peter 3.18, Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Say grow, grow. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, the Thessalonians grew exceedingly in faith. That little mustard seed faith that we see in the gospels Jesus talked about. Well, here Paul said, I watched them grow. I saw their faith grow. Philippians 1.9, he said, I, I prayed for their love to abound more and more. So to the Thessalonians, he talked about their faith growing. And then the Philippian church, he said, I saw how their love grew. There was, it, it matured. It got stronger, more complete. 1 Corinthians 14.20 says, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be children, but in understanding be what? Be men. So in understanding in faith, in love, in grace, we're called to grow up, we're called to mature, we're called to move forward. And throughout scripture, there's words like be complete. There's other words about no longer tossed to and fro like children, but established, strengthened. Those are key gospel words for what's supposed to be happening in your life and my life as we mature. Amen? Anybody with me this morning? And so two weeks ago, I shared again about that, the vision I had at Lake Margarita, and I was walking the lake and praying in the Spirit, and, and all of a sudden, I saw this older guy just as a spiritual vision. It's really, really powerful for me. It was still seven or eight years ago, and, and it's still speaking to me. I know it was so real from the Lord. And this older guy with an older fishing lure teaching the younger guy how to fish, And then as he was explaining about, and it turned into my spirit about mentoring and and helping people understand the younger generation, the important stuff, you know, the the key things of the gospel never change. The values of the gospel, the foundation of the gospel never change. The principles don't change. But the delivery methods and how we maybe uh, talk about it or how we maybe present it might change, but the core values are eternal and we need them in our life. Amen? 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 So this idea of passing on the important stuff is what was stirring in me. And so the next few weeks, I want to talk about some of these things that I feel like are important uh, when we talk about fishing, how to receive things from the Lord, how to walk in some of these things in our life, how to grow up in certain areas of our life. And as we're talking about it, or thinking about it, when I was gone, this, just this passage in In 1 John 2, kept going over in my spirit, and this is where the Apostle John, he's writing to three different groups of people in this passage. He's writing, he calls them little children, and then there's this other group he calls young men and young women, and then he talks to fathers or or mothers, the mature ones. And so today I'm going to touch on this passage and just pick out one of these three categories and spend a little time developing what the understanding needs to be with each of these three age groups. First John 2, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, believers, dear ones, you can tell this is the Amplified, because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. You've been pardoned and released from spiritual debt through his name, because you've confessed his name, believing in him as Savior. And then he said, verse 13, I'm writing to you, fathers, those believers who are spiritually mature, because you've known him who has existed from the beginning. And then he says, I'm writing to you, young men, those believers who are growing in spiritual maturity because you have been victorious and overcome the evil one. And so he breaks out these three different groups of people. He goes on again and kind of repeats himself. Verse 13, I've written to you, children, those who, are under new, those who are new believers, those spiritually immature, because you have come to know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who has existed from the beginning and then i've written to you young you young men because you are strong and vigorous and the word of god remains always in you and you have been victorious over the evil one by accepting jesus as your savior. and so he breaks it down in these three different categories and gives some phraseology or some words around it to help us understand maybe what it means to be in one of these three different groups. now certainly some of us you know, been coming to church a long time and we've been maturing and growing and moving forward because these, these groupings got really not much to do with our physical material age, but more to do with our spiritual age, how we're growing in the Lord, what we're being established in the Lord, what we're walking in in the word, amen? And so he writes to these three different groups and he gives commands or instructions or insight about why he would go from calling them a, a child to a young man or young woman. What, what's the categories there? What makes the difference? I want to talk about it. I threw this in because I'm just, when we talk about uh, these passages, sometimes it's just in the male gender, but it applies to women as well. Scripture says in Acts 2, that he poured out his spirit, what? On all flesh, and that your sons and daughters will prophesy. He, he opened it up to the whole kingdom. And Galatians says we're neither in male nor female, but we're all one in Christ. Amen. And so when we talk about going from children to young men to fathers, I include it going from children to young men and women to fathers and mothers in the faith, which we need in this season because there's a revival coming, and we need mentors and fathers and mothers and trainers and people that will look out for the next generation coming up and tell your neighbor, that's going to be you. Tell them this morning, that's going to be you. So here we go. He said he called them little children, You little children, he says, your sins are forgiven and you've come to know the Father. I put that in the characteristic of hope. There's people coming through our door, the first service as well, this morning that just need hope. They've got diagnosis. They've got legal issues. There's family things. There's a writ of divorce pending. There's things that are going on in their homes and lives. Some of them don't know Jesus and they're wandering around hoping for somebody to share good news with them. And, and Paul or John says, here, I'm writing to you, little children, and this is what he says, little children, your sins are forgiven you. This is the starting place. This is the beginning where you recognize that you're cleansed. You recognize what Jesus has done for you, and it sticks, and you know it. And you've come to know the Father, that you've been taken out of fatherlessness and that orphan mindset, and now you're in the family of God. He said, your sins are forgiven you, and you've come to know the Father. That's the first stage. That's the foundation stage. And then he says, he calls them young man or young woman, and he uses these terms. He says, because you are strong and vigorous and victorious. That's the faith stage. You're growing in faith. You're growing on, uh, you know, how to apply the word of God. You're not being kicked around, tossed around anymore. You're starting to discern whose voice is this. You know, this is the enemy speaking, and he's trying to take me backwards. And I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. There's a strength that comes, a victorious heart that comes. And that's what John says about becoming a young man or a woman, that you're an overcomer now, that you're applying, you're using your faith to grow. And then to fathers and mothers, he says, I'm writing to you because you've known him from the beginning. Faith, hope, and love. I I, I see that part of somebody is recognized and walking in the love of God, the love of the Father, and and they're ministering that to other people. And in this season, we need a bunch of those people for the revival that's coming. Amen? So let's talk a little bit about growing up. Let's talk about that. And I picked two stories today from the Gospels that are foundational. And I want you to get it. I mean, some of us have been saved a while. We forget what it's like to be lost. We forget what it's like to just be drifting and to be, uh, you know, that that idea of hopelessness and confusion ruling ruling our lives. I, I want to share with you two stories from the Gospels. And one's about a woman and one's about a man, and their names are never mentioned because I think it could apply to many names, thousands of names, millions of names for all generations. But in these stories, we're going to see something about the love of God, and we're going to see something about the mercy of God and the caring of God, and then we're going to maybe get a look at the other hearts that are involved in, as a warning of how, not, how we should not live. So let's jump in there. Are you Okay. This story is, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 7. One's in Luke 7, one's in Luke chapter 8. And this story is about a woman with no name that came to Jesus for forgiveness. I'm starting in verse 36. It says this, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he, that's Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee and reclined at the table, Now, there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner, and when she found out that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster violet perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and respectfully kissed his feet as an act of signifying both affection and submission, and she anointed them with perfume, And now when Simon the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a notorious sinner, an outcast devoted to sin. In verse 40, Jesus answering said to the Pharisee, hey, Simon, I have something to say to you. I love it that Jesus calls him out. Simon, I got something to say to you about this. And he could read his heart. And and he replied, teacher, say it. Oh, you sure? Okay. (laughs) He goes on. A certain money lender had debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had no means of repaying the debts, he freely forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I take it, for whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you've decided correctly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you have failed to extend to me the usual courtesy shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began saying among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace from the distress experienced because of sin. Now, when I think about, I write to you little children, what would I want a child, a young person in Christ to know about this story? Well, first of all, Scripture says this, this woman, she was a notorious sinner. She had a reputation. Some say, and most say, commentators say she was a prostitute. Some say Mary Magdalene. But others say, no, that's not Mary Magdalene. But there's a very good, uh, maybe foundational reason that she might have known Mary Magdalene. That might be how she found out about Jesus. That here's a guy, a teacher, a miracle worker, and he loves the broken. A, a conversation with Mary Magdalene might be the reason that she said, I, I can have some hope. I, I can have a changed life. There's there's maybe mercy for me. There's maybe power to help me walk in a new direction. And she took a risk. It's because coming into a Pharisee's house, a religious leader like that, she would have been judged, she would have been thrown out. She took a risk even to get there. There's something in her, a draw towards hope, a drawing towards forgiveness, a drawing towards a fresh start that made her approach Jesus. How do some commentators think she was a a prostitute? Because she had some of the tools of the trade. She had costly perfume with her. And in a culture where hygiene is much, much... Less than it is today and and a a lot harder to find. Showers and all those things. Carrying perfume was a common thing for a prostitute. Not only perfume, she brought in the costly perfume, the expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus as a sign of thanksgiving. She poured it out on him, broke the alabaster box, poured it out on him in, in, in just this gratitude for forgiveness, this gratitude that he changed her life. Sharing this story, why would I teach this to a little one? Because sometimes when we come to Christ, we we know what our life used to be like. And and when he touches us and cleanses us and changes us and and gives us a new start, sometimes years down the road, we forget what it's like. Why would I teach this to a little one? Your sins are forgiven you. Now remember the depth at which he's forgiven you. Sharing this story, I've ran into people through years and they, they think they've done so much and been so bad that they could never be forgiven. Jesus leaves this story in for all time saying nothing. You've never done anything too big to separate you from God's love and his mercy and his reach. And when I hear that sometimes, oh, I've committed too big a sin to be forgiven. I say, who do you think you are, dude, that can really sin bigger than my huge God's grace can cover? Who do you think you are? A chief sinner that you can out sin the mercy of of a hugely benevolent God. Who gave his best. So Jesus leaves us this story of, of a woman who's broken, who gets a fresh touch and a fresh start and a fresh name and a fresh identity. And he does tell her, go and sin no more. I've set you free. Now pick a new path. I've set you free. Now make some new choices in your life. It's the same thing that he offers to you and me. Amen? And so in her mess, in her mess, In her tears, she received the mercy and forgiveness and cleansing of the Lord. Amen? Well, this is what the psalmist writes. And I I think it's just good to remember, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, the first altar call I answered was at 19. And I got invited to go to Calvary Chapel. It was a Saturday night service, and I knew they were doing evangelistic altar calls at the end. I was warned by friends. So I sat in the back. And uh, the music was good, and I remember the atmosphere and the singing. Something was just like those little goosebumps, Holy Ghost goosebumps. Wow, there's something different in here. I knew that, but when it came time, Chuck Smith gave an altar call, and I was sitting in the back, and I'm going, no, I'm not going to stand up. No, I'm not going up there. No. And next thing I knew, I'm standing. I'm walking towards the front, and, but with every step, I felt something breaking off me. I, I felt like a load was being lifted from my life, and there was a peace, and a joy and something new and something different that was coming over me. And I don't want to ever forget that. I don't want to ever forget what it's like to be forgiven and cleansed and given a fresh start. Amen? Amen. 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 And this is what the psalmist writes, David, in Psalm 86, 12. I'll praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I'll glorify your name forevermore. Verse 13, read it with me. For great is your mercy towards me, and you've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol or hell. O God, the proud have risen against me and a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. I write to you, young child, why? Because you need to know this about your father. He's abundant in compassion and mercy and truth. And we get off track sometimes, and he welcomes us back, and that's his nature. And it doesn't make an excuse for sinning, but if you're going to grow up, first of all, you got to understand your sins are forgiven you. you got to understand he's committed to you. You got to understand you're not on the point system trying to earn it, that he has done it for you. Now you have to receive it and grow up and walk in it. Amen? And we're going to talk about the, that part next week, the growing up part. But to be established in compassion of God, to be established in the mercy of God is crucial for a young one. Well, let's go to our next story. And this is about a guy. And it's in the next chapter, in Luke chapter 8. And I know I shared some on this not too long ago, but this story, again, just... It's foundational to understanding the mercy of God and the heart of God towards us. So in Luke chapter eight, it says, now on one of those days, just as verse 22, now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got in the boat and he said to them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And essentially he's saying, okay, boys, it's time for a field trip. You've been on the Galilee side. We've been ministering in our, on a home turf, on our home court advantage We've been in the Galilee side where there's lots of Hebrew background and Judaic instruction. And so we've been ministering on this side, but we're going to go to the other side of the lake. That's the Canaanite side. That's the gods of the Canaanites are served on that side. That's the side where there's been this this Greek influence. We're going to Decapolis, which is a, a Greek name that means 10 cities. We're going from this side to that side. So they set out, verse 23, but as they were sailing, he fell asleep and uh, and a fierce gale of wind swept down as if though a wind tunnel on the lake and they began to be swamped or in great danger. They came to Jesus, woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're about to die. Well, he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging violent waves and they ceased and it became calm, a perfect peacefulness. And he said to them, where's your faith? Your confidence in me they were afraid and astonished, shamed one to another. Who is then is this, that he commands even the winds and the sea, and they obey him? I don't know, how many know when you're stepping out in new things, often there's opposition to that, Huh? When you're stepping out to do something for God, and when you're stepping out to, to press forward, you know there's winds and storms that can come against you. Jesus slept through it, but the disciples were freaking out. And, and then he woke up, and he reminded them about power and authority, and he rebuked the wind and the waves. He exercised his authority, and it went calm, and it went still. And then let's start in verse 26. This is what I want to get to. And then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is east of Galilee, and now when Jesus stepped out on the land, he was met by a man from the city of Gadara who was possessed with demons. For a long time, he'd worn no clothes, and he was not living in a house but among the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out with a terrible voice from the depths of his throat. That, that guttural, I've heard that voice, that demonic voice a few times in ministry where you can tell there's something possessing them, there's something inside them. And uh, he cried out from the depths of his throat and fell down before him in dread and terror and shouted loudly, "'What business do you have in common with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me before the appointed time of judgment.'" Here he is. He's received judgment his whole life, and he thinks Jesus' coming is another one to judge him, but he's wrong. Verse 29, "'Now he was already commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man.'" For it had seized him violently many times, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And then Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he answered, legion, because many demons had entered him. And they continually begged him not to command them to go into the abyss. Now a large large herd of pigs was feeding there on the mountain. The demons begged Jesus to allow them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission Then the demons came out of the man and into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and told it in the city and out in the country. And people came out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind, mentally healthy, and they were frightened, And those who had seen it told them how the man who had been demon-possessed had been healed. And then all the people, the country of the Gadarenes and the surrounding district, asked them to leave because they were overwhelmed with fear. So Jesus got in the boat and returned to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. But the man from whom the demons had gone out kept begging him, pleading to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell about all the great things God has done for you. So the man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Amen? Well, well let's, let's talk about this for a minute. I know we've shared some of these things before, but th- this side of the lake, there's the Jewish, the Hebrew side on one side, but this side of the lake was you know, Decapolis. It was under the, the Greek influence. Decapolis means 10 cities. And one of the gods that they worshipped on this side, along with other fertility gods, was the god Dionysus. He was the party god. He was really the god of vinting, of wines, the god of uh, vine grapes, and the god of celebration. Dionysus was also a fertility god. And the interesting thing about Dionysus is in Greek mythology, he had the same kind of origin as Jesus. He was born of Zeus, which is divine, and he had an earthly mother. And so those that followed him believed that there was a supernatural connection between heaven and earth because Zeus was his father and and he had an earthly mom that he could relate to him. So those celebrating this religion, they they sacrificed just like the Hebrews did, but instead of sacrificing spotless lambs, they sacrificed swine. They sacrificed pigs. And I like this picture because it looks like strips of bacon on those pigs going into the water. My first inclination is, what a great waste of bacon right there, h- h- hitting the water. But anyway, Jesus, Jesus judged the bacon. Not only that, he judged their sacrifice. And I think as he decided to go to the other side of the lake, this is what he's doing. He heard their cry. Now, I don't know how far Galilee is from Decapolis, but on a map, it looks like it might be 25 miles and it might be like, here we are, we're in our home turf, and we're worshiping and praying, and somebody in their spirit says, there's, there's a guy crying out from Guadalupe. And it's a different culture down there. It's a farm culture and Hispanic culture, and maybe the languages are even mixed down there, but there's a guy sitting naked in the cemetery crying out, crying out for help, crying out for deliverance, and there's a stirring in your soul that says, we're going to take a field trip there, and we're going to set the guy free. When I read this in context, it seems like Jesus went just for this guy, because after he's delivered, it says they get back in the boat, and they go to the other side. It's almost like Jesus can recognize the cry of the desperate and said, guys, we're going there to set this man free, and they get there, and here he is alone, naked, isolated. He, 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 scripture says he's homeless. He's living amongst the tombs. It had to be a pretty, pretty desperate situation for this guy for years because another, some other uh, theologians say this, that it was the, the practice in these cities to make a person in the village the scapegoat. And so the sins of the, the village have been placed on him. The curse has been placed over him by the high priest. People declaring the, the, the things that are going wrong in their families and the things that are happening against them, placing this curse on that guy, allowing this guy to become the scapegoat for the village. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus scrambles the whole theology. He says, first of all, Dionysus born to Zeus and, and uh, this, this natural woman. I- I'm the true son of God. I was born of my father in heaven and came to earth through a virgin. I'm the true Messiah. And then he comes and says, we're not going to do sacrifices of pigs anymore. And so I'm going to send your sacrifices drowning in the water. And in this declaration and the flexing of his power to set this guy free, he changed the theology. He messed up the theology of the community so much so that they said, we can't even handle this, get out of here. But one guy who was excited was this guy. He'd been set free with a new hope And a new beginning and a new start and cleansed and and clothed, set on a new path. Praise God for that. We don't even know his name, but he represents 10,000 people and several that we've seen ourselves set free with a changed life and a new course and delivered and thinking with a clear mind and peace in their heart. And Jesus did it for him. And then he says, I want to follow you. I want to go with you. And Jesus says, you got to stay, man. Because your testimony can bring other people to Christ. You got to stay. And so scripture says when Jesus came back the next time, crowds followed him. Instead of running from him and telling Jesus, get out of here, man, this is messing with our heads, they said, no, come, share. And Jesus ministered and did miracles and proved that he was the son of God to that group because of this guy, because of a changed life in this guy. I'll write to you, little children, that because your sins have been forgiven and you've come to know the love of the Father. This guy would say, yeah, I know what it's like to be forgiven. I know what it's like to be delivered. I know what it's like to be set on a new path. Anybody in here? Maybe not that bad. Maybe not like this, but to a degree. And Hey, here's the psalmist. He writes again. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Read it with me. Verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I'll trust, my shield in the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sores of shield surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. And he heard my voice from his temple. Aren't you glad he hears when we cry out? And my cry came before him even to his ears. And when that cry came from across the lake, Jesus said, boys, we're going to deliver. Boys, we got a field trip ahead of us. and We're going to go set a captive free. And that's the same God you and me serve. He hears our cry. Tell your neighbor he hears our cry. Tell your neighbor he hears our cry. I've heard multiple stories of that. Here, here's a guy... In Cambodia, and if you've been around a while, I've shared this story. Moni Mok, who's a good friend in Canary, had been uh, serving in Cambodia, started going back in when the country opened up in 96. And in one of their exploits several years ago, they went up to this new district or new region in the mountain area in the north, and they heard about this guy. You can see on his feet there's a chain there. They heard about this guy that was chained up because of his anger and this, this demonic manifestation that would come where he would attack people like an animal. And Moni Mock went in uh, after they heard about him, went up there to visit, and Moni told me he got probably as close as from here to the edge of the stage from the guy and began to talk to him, could sense the rage, and he began to share with him about Jesus and Jesus' ability to deliver and Jesus' willingness to heal and shared that story with him. And Moni said the first time I prayed for him was probably this far away and just prayed and asked him to renounce those things, break those things, and he left. He came back a year later, and this guy who was sane and and free and helping and serving, his life had turned around. Not only that, but his father had come under kind of the same kind of oppression because of what had been going on in his son's life. And the second time they came, and their father got free, and their father received Christ and was saved. And mom stayed faithful through the whole whole thing. Aren't you glad for faithful moms that pray and don't give up and, and contend? Mom stayed faithful, but she shared this story, and I shared this with you before. So when son and dad were oppressed, and there wasn't much help around there, and she had three cows, and one of the cows either was stolen or wandered away, and that was her her source for for living. She was able to sell the other two, but that that third cow was going to be a great source for help, and so that cow wandered off, and she said a year later that she was out praying or just outside there working. I don't know if she was praying, but she's out there working and she said some cows wandered back into her field. These were full grown. And she called the, the cow, one of them just the name the cow that disappeared and the cow's head came up. And it walked back over towards her and she got her fattened cow back who had been eating other people's grains or whatever. And, and, and she sold that cow and they showed us pictures of how they remodeled their whole house because they could sell that cow. Now another part of that story, another of the new cows wandered over and ate some of the termite poison and went into convulsions and died in front of them, but she called her family and they went and laid hands on the cow and the cow came back to life. That was her words. The cow came back to life. So Moni's there hearing the story about son and dad delivered, demonized, or no, a poisoned cow coming back to life, and the other cow wandering back, and they took those stories and went, to, I think it was 40 kilometers up the road, to other family members and got them all saved. And now there's a church of 60 people going on in that area because of the power of the gospel. Praise God. And so when John says, I write to you, young children, because your sins are forgiven and because you've known the love of the Father, I think that's a foundational place for growth. It comes from that platform. Because if you don't know your sins are forgiven, you're going to live in a cycle of sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting. The self-condemnation, the doubt that comes on you, the shame that you walk in, all those things set you up in a cycle. But to know that your sins are forgiven and now to walk not as a, you know, a, a struggling sinner just trying to be saved. No, now you start walking as a saved son of God that occasionally struggles with sin. And it's a different way to look at it. It's a different way to see things, a different platform to grow from. And certainly I'm not advocating sloppy living. I'm not advocating sinful living. I'm just saying when you understand what Jesus has done and the depths to what he went to Calvary for you and me, the price that he paid, that you and me could walk in wholeness and freeness, that's the foundation from which we grow from. That's the foundation from which we move forward from. Tell your neighbor your sins are forgiven. Can you do that this morning? The price has been paid for you. And if Jesus can save people like this, He certainly can save people like you and me. Amen? When he's committed to hearing the cry, traveling miles to set somebody free, like a demonized guy who had been a castaway in his village, he'll come to your house and he'll come to my house. If he can save a, a, a sinner, a woman caught up in prostitution, if he can deliver her, he can deliver you and me. I forgot to mention the other sinner in that first story. The other guy was Simon the Pharisee. The other sinner that need to be delivered is the finger pointer. The other sinner that need to be delivered is the guy making judgments about somebody else's life and I'm sure, like everybody else, having some stuff in his own life. So what can we learn on the story? Well, children, young ones, your sins have been forgiven, but be careful as you grow up. Be careful that you don't come from now a place of self-righteousness like you've arrived. No, I gotta go back to the place of being a child and saying, God, you rescued me. God, you saved me. God, it's your help. It's your strength. It's your grace, your might, your power, your anointing, your Holy Spirit working in my life. I have to go back to that place instead of stepping up on a high horse and becoming a finger pointer about what's going on in other people's lives. Amen? <laughs> if it shifts me to get down in their mess and help them rise up, that would be an important part of the story. But to stand back and to point fingers when God's working in people's lives, that's not my place to judge. He's the faithful one. He's the deliverer. Amen? Amen? Amen. Read this with me. I'm writing to you, little children, believers, dear ones, because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. You've been pardoned and released from spiritual debt through his name because you've confessed his name, believing in him as Savior.